Welcome back to the Jasmine Star Show, a place where we discuss business mindset. And today we are talking about the art of handling objections. Yes, I say the word art because I truly believe that objection handling is an art form. Have you ever seen a toddler get her way when you object to something? Okay, like I often think that my daughter has a future career in politics, in litigation, being a silver-tongued, brilliant orator. I don't know, because if I use the word N-O with her, oh, can she handle that objection? Now, when we talk about this in the business context, I have seen, and maybe you have too, somebody who takes an objection and then slurps it up like a hot, steaming bowl of soup with a nice, glorious golden spoon. They're unintimidated by it. They make it look delicious and easy. Now, uh, for all my data and analytic nerds, I came across a couple statistics. According to HubSpot, 44% of sales conversations fail due to unhandled objections. Okay, let that sink in. Almost half of sales opportunities, these conversations that you're having to close a sale, almost half are going to fail due to unhandled objections. And another unfortunate statistic is that only 27% of people are able to overcome objections effectively. 27%. That means in a group of four people, if you have four business owners, essentially just one of them can handle objections effectively. Now, if you are that one person, hot dang, let's get better. And if you happen to be part of the other three, hot dang, let's get better. So, you know, you could be telling yourself that you're just not good at handling objections. And that changes today because this episode is for you. And I wouldn't claim to be the best at handling objections, but I definitely know I'm getting better. And I've learned a lot. Now, everything in business, sometimes it just feels hard, right? Like learning how to balance your books, learning how to hire a CFO, learning how to create investments and file taxes and change. Like every time you start something new or it feels a little uncertain, that's hard in business. But every skill can be learned, practiced, and refined over time. And that's how I view handling objections. So when I first started my career, I started off as a photographer and it was very common within the first two years of our business, we had clients flying us around the United States and then around the world for their wedding. Now, one of the objections that they would put forward with us would be that they wanted to book our flights on their points. So, and while it makes a lot of sense for people to want to book flights on points, so it's not coming out of their cash, I had to explain that their objection to paying airfare or their objection to me saying, I am going to book our airfare. I simply had to explain when a third party books our flight, we cannot make changes to that. So if, you know, X and Y bride and groom decided to book our flights on their Delta miles. And for some reason we needed to make a change. Those Delta miles don't belong to me. They belong to them. And so I would be rendered without the ability to change a flight should I need to, which happens a lot when you're traveling professionally for photography, weather changes, timeline changes, delays, and then what were what, what those layover changes? I mean, good Lord. So that me having to handle that direct objection by what? Education. Now, when I get into speaking, there is often an objection from people saying, okay, well, Jasmine's average speaking time would be uh, 90 minutes. Let's say it's a 90 minute event. 
Well, what happens is they would like to put, you know, 60 minutes in the morning and then 30 minutes before the day's end. But that isn't 90 minutes. That's an all day event. And so the objection would be, we get to choose where the 90 minutes are. And our response would be, no, it's 90 minutes concurrently. And if the 90 minutes concurrently doesn't work in your schedule, no problem. We just wouldn't include that extra 30 minutes and we'd be able to prorate whatever the case that might be. So we're handling the objections, explaining what needs to happen, and then we're amenable to find a mutual agreement. Now, it's crazy because this same offer can have two separate types of objections. So I experienced this in 2023. I hosted my very first mastermind and I had such a great experience with this. And as people were applying for the mastermind and then they were interviewed with the concierge for the mastermind and then they were interviewed with me. So they had to apply and then go through two interviews. And it's so crazy that the same offer was looked at in two different ways. So I had two objections come up. First objection was, are there going to be too many people that I am not going to get the attention that I want? And then the second objection was, I don't know if there's going to be enough people in this group. I don't want it to be too small. And so in both of those situations, it was so important for me to upfront address each objection, same offer, but people were looking at the offer through their lens and perspective. So I simply had to say for the person who was worried that they wouldn't get enough time, I simply had to say that everybody is granted the same amount of time. And it is not like I have the right amount of time. It's what do you plan on doing with that time? Nobody will get more and nobody will get less. We are a group of people doing a group of things. And you also have three one-on-one sessions with myself. And so I went through and outlined, this is the state of expectations. This is what you will be guaranteed. Anything beyond that is going to be bonus, but this is what's guaranteed. So if you agree to this, regardless if this group is 20 or 2000, this is what you get at bare minimum. Do you agree to that? And then she did. Now, the second objection to the mastermind, the same offer was, I don't think there's going to be enough people in the group for me to get what I want. And I understand that, but I also challenged this belief because in my experience, some of the best masterminds, some of the most powerful, some of the most game-changing masterminds was myself and two other people. It is not the size of the mastermind that has the impact. It is how closely aligned the founders and entrepreneurs are to similar and different objectives. And so what happens, it's in the similarities that we can push each other forward faster. And it's in our differences that we get to poke holes in commonly held beliefs. So I had to challenge her belief that bigger was better for masterminds. And I just wanted to share these very personal examples because it was coming from a service-based industry. It's coming from a service in regards to like very much my personal brand speaking. It's coming into facilitating masterminds. I mean, objections come in a lot of different ways, but I really wanted to have an upfront conversation about how I handle objections all the time. Now, as we begin this conversation, first, we're going to talk about understanding objections and why handling them is really important, both for you and for your prospective client your prospective customer, if this person is just a lead, handling objections is going to be so fantastic for you. And then we're going to dive into the five most common objections and then how to handle them. And then we're going to cover three simple strategies to help you in sales conversations. Okay. Starting with understanding objections. It is important to realize that objections aren't no's. They're just questions. And I've said this before on the podcast, but it really is important for me to reiterate. Objections aren't no's. 
And objections are not a bad thing. They can actually help you find areas in your messaging that may need more clarification. Maybe you need a little bit more expansion. When you embrace objections as questions, it can shift your mindset from being defensive, like, how do you not get this? What's wrong? Don't you trust me? Isn't this what it is? No, to curiosity. When someone says, oh, the timing just isn't right. What they're really asking is, why should I sign up now? And these things can lead to a collaboration between you and your prospect by working to find a solution that fits both of your needs. Now, here are three reasons why handling objections is important. I'll name each one first, and then we'll dive into them. Number one, handling objections prevents misunderstandings. Number two, it allows for personalized solutions. And number three, it builds trust. So starting with number one, handling objections can prevent misunderstandings. I have learned this the hard way. When we are front facing with an objection, you stand in hundred percent in your truth. You admit what you know, you admit what you don't know, and then you clarify. That makes a relationship with your customer or client so dense, so rich. When you walk through a sales conversation, instead of just trying to end it as soon as possible, which is what I did, like, here's the dotted line. Are you ready? Let's go. I think that this is going to be a great opportunity for you to clarify information and provide additional context. So here's an example. Imagine someone, let's call him Jack, wants to try out a new local meal prep store. He looked through the prepackaged meals, but didn't choose one and started to leave. So the owner catches him to ask his thoughts like, hey, were we missing anything? What was something not here in the store for you? And Jack mentions that they look and sound amazing, but he really wished there was more vegetable options. And then the owner informs him that each meal can be customized and they could replace the starch for another side of veggies for no additional cost. Because the store owner not just handled the objection, asked for objections instead of letting Jack walk out. Now this store has a new loyal customer and they understand that they need to promote the customizable option. Huh? An objection turned into a bigger sales opportunity for clarity for other people that may not express their desire for customizable options. Like think about this in your business. If somebody says that something is missing in your offer, let us not take it personally. Ask ourselves, can we modify this? Okay, so let's move on to the second reason handling objections is important, which is that it allows for personalized solutions. Every potential client is different with specific needs, preferences, and concerns. Handling objections allows you to tailor solutions that are personalized to them. By understanding and addressing objections, you can highlight specific features and show how the product is the best choice. And when you do this, it enhances the value of the offer and increases the likelihood of a yes. Okay, so personalized solutions, we're getting to a yes. So let's break this down as an example. Let's say Sarah. Sarah is a small business owner who runs a fitness studio in her town. Sarah is giving a tour to a potential new member, let's call him Jake, and he raises an objection about the recurring monthly fee. And he says, you know, I'm just too busy with work during the winter months. And so I'm going to wait to sign up as a member in the spring when work calms down. Oh, but Sarah, Sarah faces objections like this and she's going to be very upfront. And Sarah tells him that if he signs up now, she will pause his membership for the months he can't make it in. Huh. Now Jake feels at ease about joining. What was happening here? We're closing in a sale, even if it means slowing down or amending the start time, because a sale guaranteed in three months is better and more likely than somebody coming back on their own in three months to sign up. Because Sarah decided to handle the objection, she got a new member who tried to talk himself out of joining. Now, 
If she didn't handle the objection and just said, oh, I totally understand. Spring is a great time to sign up. Well, she wouldn't have gotten the sale. He would be behind uh, like hitting his fitness goals. And who knows if that lead would have gone cold? Do we really think that he would come back? Would she have to set reminders to call him? Perhaps. But is he less likely to come in all over again? Most likely. If he handed over his credit card in full faith that three months later she was going to charge it, well, now we're talking about a different type of sales story here. Okay, so reason number one is that handling objections can prevent misunderstandings. Number two is that it allows for personalized solutions. And number three is that it builds trust. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Jasmine, but what does handling objections have to do with building trust? In fact, it might seem like it does the opposite, okay? Like, okay, but let me explain. When you actively listen and address objections, it demonstrates transparency and a willingness to have open communication. Potential clients are way more likely to trust people who acknowledge concerns and work collaboratively to find a specific solution for them. When we avoid objections, it sends a message of avoidance, which can actually erode trust. And then it's going to leave a potential client feeling like, was I even heard? Was I ignored? Did you even listen to like what this genuine concern was? It can make them feel unheard. And that is devastating for a business. So let's fill out an example. Here's an example using a real estate agent. A potential home buyer, let's call her Emily, expresses concerns about the neighborhood's safety during a showing. Instead of brushing off the objection, the real estate agent, we'll say Omar, actively listens and acknowledges Emily's concern. Omar, understanding the importance of trust, provides insights about local safety measures, community initiatives, and he shares positive experiences with the neighbors. So like, let's just take a second and pull back here. Omar and Emily have a relationship where somebody expresses concern and instead of downplaying the concern or brushing past it or saying, it's not always what it seems like on the outside. No, no, no. Omar listens intently and then says, hey, I'm going to provide insights. I'm going to talk about the safety measures. I am very involved with community initiatives. They're going to be making changes. They're going to be opening up pathways. They're going to be adding a park. Things like this address a concern and build such fantastic rapport. So then on top of all of that, he takes time to show properties in a safer neighborhood to Emily by transparently addressing Emily's concerns and working together to find a solution. Omar not only just builds trust, but also creates a strong client agent relationship. Now, Then there's Emily and she feels heard and she feels value. And now she's just like, I'm never going to work with anybody else besides Omar because he saw me and he went out of his way to ensure that I was heard and taken care of. Now, if Omar hadn't handled the objection, he would have lost a client and missed out on any future referrals Emily would send his way. Okay. So what we've just done is we've gone over objections, like what they are and why they're important to our business. Let's go over five of the most common objections and how to handle them. I'm going to name them first before diving in. Now, I want to take a second and let you know, I have talked about objections before on the podcast. I've talked about them just, in fact, like a few episodes ago, but I think it's really important because at the time of this recording and at the time of this publishing, I am in a season of objections. I am making an offer to a live course experience called your biggest launch ever. And this live experience isn't a course where you watch, you know, DIY. This is a live course experience where I'm going live twice a week through this powerful launching mechanism, this curriculum, this way of doubling revenue, this system and process that I have used to have multi-million dollar launches. And when you make a big 
bold statement, like this is what I've done, immediately people come up with objections like, well, that just works for you. It won't work for me. I don't have time. I don't have money. I'm not sure it's the right time. I've had a bad experience before. I'm not ready to commit right now. The reason that I am so in tune with the content that I'm creating is I'm in the middle of it. I create my podcast for other business owners who are experiencing the difficulty, the opportunity, the elation of really honing in your messaging and saying, this is the offer. I will absolutely come in front of every objection, but I can't change your mind. I can provide facts. I can help you look at it from a different perspective. I can add more clarity, but the only person who will change your mind is you. So I welcome objections. It gives me an opportunity to give a fuller picture. Cool. Uh, Let's start with objection number one. I don't have time. What a prospect really means is, I don't know if I could fit this in my schedule. I don't know if this fits in my life. And on a much deeper level, they're really asking, do you have any ideas that can free up some time for me so I can do this? Now, they're not saying this. What people are often saying, specifically, if you are making an offer that is a solution to a problem, If people are in the problem, they have a hard time believing anything will work. So I never take it personally. I will present a solution. And this solution is you're not making enough money with your digital offers and you really just need a systemized way of doing it. And people say, okay, I agree. I want that. But I have barely any time right now. How am I supposed to fit this in? Okay. When you're handling this type of objection, you want to focus on the features of your product or service that can end up saving time in the long run and share strategies that help it fit in their schedule. So how are we doing this? Well, if somebody says, I just don't have time to put together a proper launch. Well, we knew that this was going to come up. So we're like, great. Our solution is done for you. We provide swipe copy. We provide email automation. Like we're saying, we know you don't have time, which is why you haven't been able to execute. So here are our time-saving mechanisms. Now, like to pull away, let's use a different example. A new entrepreneur, let's call her Brit. She's interested in hiring a marketing agency, but the marketing agency requires three short form videos every week for their social media strategy. Now, Britt shares, uh, she's a little bit concerned about the time commitment required to create the videos. So the marketing agency owner comes up with a batch content plan so Britt can record all 12 videos for the month in less than two hours. The agency owner not only addressed the time constraint, but also provided an efficient and manageable solution for Brittany's schedule. Huh. So just like myself saying, here's how we say you will save time and get it done. An agency provided a content batching schedule that directly addressed somebody's objection. Okay. Moving on to objection number two, I don't have money. Now, what a prospect really means is how might I afford it? Like help me find a way to afford it. Because here's the thing. If somebody says no, then it's a no. But the vast majority of people are going to be on the fence. I am talking about the vast majority of people are going to be on the fence. So if they didn't say no, but they say I can't afford it or I don't have money, we need to hear that question is, how can I pay for this? And we address that straight out. They might be saying, are there any payment plans available? Do you have any ideas how I can come up with money? Or have you experienced anyone else who didn't have money to invest at first, but then they found money and then they were so glad they did. Okay. When you're handling this type of objection, you'll want to focus on how your product or service can end up saving them money or making them more money in the future. 
Or you can share ways that they can come up with money without making huge sacrifices. So how might this come out in like an example? Well, let's introduce Andrew. Andrew wants to attend a personal development workshop, but he expresses he's not sure that he can afford the $200 ticket. On the call, the workshop facilitator asks if there's any small recurring cost or indulgences that he can eliminate for a short amount of time to afford it. He replies that, well, you know, he goes to Starbucks Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to get a latte. The workshop facilitator then suggests, hey, there's a couple of things we could do here. One, we could eliminate the Starbucks runs altogether, and then you're going to save $50 a month, and in four months, you can afford a ticket. Or number two, if going to Starbucks is more of a ritual or it's a break for him to get out of the house and he really enjoys it, cool, no problem. Well, instead of getting a $6 latte, can he opt for a $2 coffee? By suggesting these solutions, Andrew feels excited that he can go to the workshop and because the facilitator remains sensitive and like, you know, really judgment-free in the conversation, he feels understood. He's not embarrassed or talked down to. And like, hey, he wants his daily rituals. They're not easy to give up. And now we found a happy medium. We're addressing that. Now, there are times that maybe I'm just hardwired. And I think it probably comes from the fact that I grew up really poor. My whole life, I couldn't afford things like factually, like when there is no money, there is no money. My parents sat in a seminar of getting debt-free. And I will never forget, I was five or six years old and we sat in an office and my father cracked open his wallet and my mom opened up her oversized pleather purse with a bunch of creases and like breadcrumbs and cookie crumbs and just sticky hands in it. They brought out their credit cards and he handed them each a pair of scissors and they cut up their credit cards and they put them in a clear glass container. I don't know why that was just such a gnarly visual for me as a child that I have grown up into the person who doesn't take on debt. I mean, we have debt for our house, like we haven't paid off our house, but by and large, the things that we are buying, we are buying in cash. But there are certain experiences in my life that I couldn't afford. And so I just started getting creative. If I couldn't afford something, I would simply ask how can I access that? And so there were times where I would want to go to events like Andrew, you know, in our example, he's like calling the facilitator and saying like, I don't have money. I would call the facilitator and I would simply say like, um, do you need somebody, do you need a personal assistant that day? Or do you need somebody checking in? Or do you need somebody to facilitate the breaks or the lunch times? Or do you need somebody writing copy for your website? When I became a photographer, I was like, can I take photos of your event and you will have a full gallery up by the next day? Like I was doing whatever I could. And I, whenever I hear and I see people doing the same thing, I went on a, like a 25 city tour throughout the United States as a photographer. And I was teaching photographers and we'd have these events and it was called the fix. And it was really amazing. But what we needed and tickets to the best of my recollection, I think tickets were like $400 a pop. And it was like a three hour event. And people would be coming and we realized as we got to each town, we would need a crew of like five or six people to, you know, do the door sales and pour wine, things like that. And so it was always the people who had a little bit of bite who would email JD and say, I want to volunteer in this city and in exchange for volunteering. They got to come for free. When people say, I don't have money, what they're really asking for, is there any way that I would be able to get in? And as a business owner, it is so smart for us to figure out, is there a way to make this possible for people? And as we launched this course, we knew it was going to be a high ticket offer. And, you know, that's not available for everybody. 
And so we discussed what payment plans might look like. How might we get somebody to say yes? Okay. So when we think about these like, you know, big objections, the third most common one is I'm just not sure if it's right for me. This can also be worded as I've had bad experiences before. I've been burned. I don't want to do this again. I'm not that dumb this time. Okay. Okay. But what they're really, really deeply saying is how is this the solution to my unique problems? How is it different from things I've bought in the past? What is the common drop off rates? And I don't want to be a part of that. What's different about what you're doing than anybody else? How can I trust that I won't have the same experience I did with that offer? Or what features of your product or service are going to help me to where I want to go? Like these are all real simple and really complex questions that get in the way of people. And in this objection, the, the prospect is basically asking for more specific information. In the simplest terms, they just want to know that you or your team hear them and see them. And you can handle this objection by asking questions to go deeper with their specific problems and then share success stories that are similar in the transformation that they're looking for. Number one, when people say, how is this different? I've been here before. What they really want to know is, do you see me and do you hear me? Will we get cross that finish line? Help me get crossed that finish line. Do you see me? Do you see that this is going to be a big, scary investment for me? Okay, so let's use an example. Let's say an esthetician has a consultation with somebody and let's call her LaShonda to help her reduce their appearance of acne. Okay, so um, LaShonda has acne. LaShonda mentions that she's leery uh, because, you know, she's tried a lot of products and treatments in the past without success and now she's nervous about investing in another solution that might not work for her. Now, the esthetician would mention how she's worked with clients dealing with persistent acne before, explain how it helps with acne specifically, and then she could share before and after photos of the improvement after the treatment. And here's the best part. If the esthetician could offer a guarantee or a trial period that would make LaShonda feel better about her investment, she would be so much more likely to make it happen. By doing this, the esthetician shares social proof all while easing LaShonda's concerns. We're using past as case studies, hearing specifically her objections, addressing them straight on. Now, the first objection was, I don't have time. The second objection was, I don't have money. The third objection was, I'm not sure if this is the right fit for me. And the fourth objection is, I'm not ready to commit right now. What the prospect really means when he or she says, I'm not ready. What they really mean is, What do I lose if I don't decide right now? Is there a lower commitment option to start with, right? They did not say no. They just said they weren't ready. Well, if you're not ready, like, are you incentivize me to make this decision now? Can I test the water somehow? Okay, the cause of this objection could be that they're overcommitted. Maybe they've tried things in the past and they just became spread too thin. Maybe they let themselves down and they don't want to feel that way again. It can also mean that they don't feel that they need to make a decision right away. So, you know, they should just take their time. With this objection, you can offer free trials, lower commitment, phased in options that are more self-paced. Now, I've also seen this happen with very strong salespeople, and I don't think that one is right or wrong. But when we're talking about facing objections, what I've seen people do in the past would be like, well, you have to make a decision by this time or else, or the, the pressure to say, this is the time, don't wait another day, this is now, and that becomes very pressure selling. 
And the approach I like to take is, well, let me just address the objection because if I address it, that will close the sale, not me selling harder or faster. So an example, let's say Steven, he wants to join a decluttering membership to be more minimalistic. He isn't sure he wants to commit right now. And then he tells the owner that he'll talk to his partner about it first. The owner then offers the membership free of charge for seven days so that he and his partner can try the membership together. By offering this, the membership owner builds trust and rapport with Steven and helps get him and his wife to experience a week of decluttering wins. Now, how many times have I seen when somebody says, oh, I need to talk to my partner? That is an absolutely valid, valid justification for not making that decision or making that transaction. But what hurts me more than anything is when somebody says, I need to talk to somebody and I'll get back to you. The chances of closing that sale, they decrease by over 50%. So what I love in this example, and the reason why I used it is don't let somebody off the phone. Don't let somebody out of your office. Don't hang up the Zoom call before you get a commitment where you take all of the responsibility, like you take all the risk. This membership owner looks at Steven and Steven's like, I need to talk to my wife. And instead of saying, yeah, talk to your wife and get back to me, he says, you want to know what, Stephen? Why don't you give me your name, your information? I'll set you up with a profile. What's your wife's name? We're going to get her set up. And this is on me. Complimentary, no strings attached. You're going to get access for seven days. What did he just do? He closed that client. He got their information. He could put them in a sales funnel. He could follow up with them on day four and day six and day seven. And he could show up for these people and learn about their decluttering wins. And he doesn't have a fan and he doesn't have a client. He has an evangelist. That, my friends, is uh, overcoming an objection frontward and forward. Let's go. I mean, look at me. I just get so hyped up for this stuff. You guys, I'm not even a salesperson. I just like creating wins. I was like, come at me, bro. Okay. So I've been talking about this. This is what lights me up. I freaking love to see other people win. I love building businesses. I love people changing their lives on the back of serving people really well, coming up with a powerful solution for so many people's problems and building lifelong financial development and wealth. I have seen people's lives changed because they become savvy and strong business owners. And one strong tool in your belt is not being afraid of objections, but stepping into them and powerfully addressing them, not as a sales component, but as an unabashed, I'm ready to get you the solution you deserve. Hot dang, that changes everything. Okay, so I, um, I've already mentioned this before. I am very excited about this new offer we're putting together at this moment. And this is why I'm creating this podcast We all face objections. I am in the middle of it right now. So in order to overcome it, we are offering a 14-day money-back guarantee. Oh, oh, do you like what I just did there? Do you like what I just did there? I did the same thing that this, you know, decluttering membership did. Like, Stephen's like, I got to talk to somebody. Listen, if you are listening to this podcast and you've been seeing what's going on and people are like, I want to learn how to double my revenue. I want to launch I don't have time, but I think that this, I can make time. I can get the community. I can get the coaching. I am ready to make a difference and up-level my life, but I'm not sure. I stand by what I say, 14-day money-back guarantee. Oh, okay. Okay, let's have a quick little review real quick. Now let's talk, like a little pivot here. We're gonna talk about three strategies that help you get more yeses in the sales process. Number one, using the feel, felt, found method. Number two, only offering sales calls early in the week. And number three, do your homework and research your prospects. Okay, y'all, like I live for this stuff. Just give me good business. Okay, strategy number one is using the feel, 
felt found. FFF. Okay. This is the FFF method. This is a three-step process that helps you show empathy and understanding. And this is how it works. When you get an objection, form your response in these three parts, starting with feel, acknowledge the prospect's feelings or concerns. For example, I understand that this is a big commitment right now, and that can feel overwhelming. I'm feeling what they're feeling. Then we move on to felt. Share that others or yourself have felt the same way. This lets your prospect know that they are not alone. For instance, I could choose to say many of our clients have felt this way when they were deciding to join this program. Okay. And then we finish with found. Share the positive outcomes or solutions when others said yes. So for example, we could say, but what they found is that they were able to listen to the training videos in the car, shower while cleaning the house, and it didn't take nearly as much extra time as they thought it would, and they got amazing results. Okay, this step provides reassurance. So now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna break it down so we hear exactly what I might say in an objection. Feel, I understand that this is a big commitment right now, and that can feel overwhelming. Felt, Many of our clients have felt this way when they were deciding to join this program. Found. But what they found is that they were able to listen to training videos in the car, shower while cleaning the house, and it didn't take as much extra time as they thought it would, and they got amazing results. There it is. Right there, friends. Feel, felt, found. This is empowering you to be a lot more confident as you address objections. Remember, objections aren't no. They're nothing to be afraid of. Strategy number two is only offering sales calls early in the week. Now, not everybody takes sales calls, but find a principle of how you're closing and then you could apply this to your business where it fits. So if you can believe this, we on average humans, like people, specifically business owners, like people you're selling to, busy moms, stay-at-home dads. I mean, the people you're selling to, we as humans, on average, we're making 35,000 decisions a day. We got it. We just got to pause for that. We are making 35,000 decisions per day. At the end of the week, people experience decision fatigue. You want them to feel excited about this decision and not drained. So scheduling calls Monday through Wednesday is when they are most likely to be mentally fresh and receptive. And I know that this isn't always possible, but try your best to make it happen. At the time of this recording, we have decided that the doors are going to close on a Tuesday. Why? Well, number one, I don't like pressured sales. I'd like people to get educated. I like to give people time to voice their objections. I like to give people the opportunity to reach out to our support team. I like people to send me DMs and I need time to connect with people one on one. And so we are closing the doors on a Tuesday. Why? Because I want people to sit over the weekend. I want them to talk to whoever they need to talk to and then make a good, fresh decision on that Monday or Tuesday. Let's go. Strategy number three is to do your homework. Before a sales call, research your prospects' backgrounds and potential objections. This preparation helps you navigate the conversation more smoothly, leading to a yes. It also builds trust in you as the leader of the sales call or the conversation, showing you took time to learn about them. Now, I understand that not everybody is taking sales calls. And oftentimes, if you are selling digital products, you're not doing one-on-one. But this is what drives down my point again and again. You've heard me say a thousand times before on this show is that understanding your ideal client 
Every time we were making a decision around making an offer for our dream customer, we call her Angie. We made up this person. We made up a name. We made up pressure points. We have to say we know this person so well. We have done research on people similar in similar stages, uh, finances, life phases. We needed to understand who this person was so that we felt so confident with our homework doing that when we made an offer, it was so to what this person really wanted and what this person really needed. So speaking of that offer, you know, it's like, I just can't stop talking about it because I'm just so dang excited. Uh, We did months of buyer research. Like I set up interviews I made phone calls. I read their social posts. I read their blog posts. I watched their content. I was leaving comments. I was just like, oh, I know more about who I want to sell to than I ever have before. And this helped me anticipate their objections. And so we are prepared to answer them effectively when the doors open. When you do homework, you are prepared. You don't take objections personally. And better yet, you don't take objections as a no, you will not be part of the 44% of business owners who let sales conversations dwindle in the wind. Not you, not this year. Okay. Uh, we've covered a lot. Y'all, are you sick of hearing me talk? I mean, if you made it to this point, let's go. We're going to review what we talked about. First, we covered that objections aren't no's. They're just questions. Then we talked about why handling objections is important. And here are the three reasons. Number one, handling objections prevents misunderstandings. Number two, it allows for personalized solutions. And number three, it builds trust. Then we covered how to handle the five most common objections, which are, I don't have time. I don't have money. I'm not sure if it's the right fit for me. I've had a bad experience before and I'm not ready to commit right now. And then we dove into three strategies to help you close during the sales process, which are number one, using the feel felt found method. Number two, only offering sales calls early in the week. And number three, do your homework and research your prospect. At the beginning of this episode, I said that objection handling is an art form that is learned. It is practiced and it is refined over time. Listening to this episode was the learning aspect. Now it's time for you to go and practice. Get your spouse, a friend, a fellow business or whoever and start role-playing with objection handling. Encourage this person to give you honest feedback about how like your response made them feel like literally your response is going to make them feel something and you need to know how you're coming across. This is so helpful for as you address objections in real life and in real time. This is how you get better. This is how you make more money. This is how you impact more lives with the product or service that you created. Thank you for listening to the Jasmine Star Show.